You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Daniel Saure about five use cases for network meta-analysis you should absolutely know about. So stay tuned and now some music. <music> the years we have created a lot of free content for you all kind of different things about data visualization about influencing about whatsoever and now we have collated all this content in one library for you to access so head over to the effective statistician homepage look for the library you'll find it in our new homepage and then Sign up there and get access to all the content and also future content will all post there. So go over to the Effective Statistician and sign up for that. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the ever-growing video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and much, much more. Head over to psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician. Today, I'm talking to a good friend, Daniel. How are you doing? Hi, Alexander. Thanks. I'm doing good. Very much looking forward to today's episode. Yes. Today, we are talking about a really, really interesting topic, something that is kind of, I don't want to say haunting me, <laughs> but following me for, for, for a very, very long time. And these are indirect treatment comparisons, and especially also network meta-analysis, and how we can all use these. I think there's um, very often only a you know, very limited point of view on all the opportunities here. But before we delve into the kind of heavy methodological application part of, the, of this episode, Daniel, maybe you can introduce yourself a little bit. Yes, thanks. So, um, yeah, I'm Daniel. I'm located in Germany. So I'm a yeah, mathematician by training and yeah, I have been working for, I think, more than 10 years now in, uh, in data science and uh, medical biology. Yeah, I think, Alexander, we worked together for around four years for, for Eli Lilly in yeah, late phase statistics, medical phase affairs, HDA. And uh, so last September, I yeah, joined Böhringer Ingelheim. So as a data scientist and I'm still active in the uh, yeah, HDA phase and yeah very much looking forward to today's episode. I think actually today it's already the, the second time <laughs> I'm yep. uh, happy to be here. I think I, I had a look uh, yesterday so uh, the first episode was about everything you need to know about matching adjusted indirect comparison. I think we recorded it almost two years ago so uh, yeah. Yeah and you also participated in the 200th episode. Ah, um, that's true. Yeah. So that means your episode was also quite successful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In terms of download numbers. So that's that's really good. And I'm I'm pretty sure today will be 
another great one. So let's talk about you know where we can all use network meta analysis and for sure further things. But let's for the moment we'll focus on the medical affairs and HDA kind of applications. What's the first one where kind of you know in the life cycle where we will need to use network meta analysis? Yeah, I think the the first one from a timing perspective also is that you compare your phase two, phase three data with the competition. I think this is related to to the clinical development phase. I think in this phase, your company yeah is developing a new compound, so maybe in a new indication, maybe a line extension, or maybe mm-hmm. even the first indication. And so, how is this done usually? So you you're running one or more than one uh, yeah RCTs which are usually placebo-controlled or standard-of-care-controlled. And uh, this information then is submitted to regulatory authorities. And beyond that, you might be interested in how your compound compares with the active competition. Yeah, I think your, your data or your, your trials tell you in terms of efficacy and safety, how do you compare versus standard of care? But if you want to go beyond, I think, yeah, indirect comparison and network meta-analysis are yeah, co- common methods, uh, which then come into play. And yeah, this usually depends heavily on which competitor trials are already there. So which information you already have. So in some cases, you you might be able to, to compare where this one other active treatment, depending on the market. In other cases, maybe you're entering an already big market. So then you already have a big amount of, of active treatments available. And then in that case, you might be able to even perform a network meta-analysis. Yeah, yeah completely agree. I think it's really important both internally and externally mm-hmm. to frame your data. Yeah. Yes. And to show kind of how successful is it actually? Yeah. So, so of course, assuming that you have a positive phase three study or a positive phase two study, but how positive is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that, you know, far better than the compare, uh, than what's out there? Or is it kind of similar? In which extent is it better? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does it work faster? Does it, is it, you know, creating higher levels of efficacy or is it even, you know, is it safer? Here it's really about differentiation. Yeah. Um, and of course, if you're first to market, you're never really first to market. There's usually some kind of treatment out there and could be standard of care and, and could be different things here. And potentially even uh, you could bring here in also some observational data yeah, if mm-hmm. there is really no kind of established uh, newer compounds. Yeah, so, so if all compounds that are currently used that maybe not be studied for particularly this indication and it's just kind of used for that in clinical practice. I think it's also important to go out there and proactively answer these questions. Because otherwise, we get into the second use case. And that is where you're maybe not the, you see a competitor actually, you know, publishing something. And then you are in the situation like, oh, there's this new drug. And how's it doing against our drug? And maybe, you know, on first glance, it looks really, really good. And then I've seen more than once organization panicking. Yeah. They can think, 
oh, company XYZ has just published their results and they look so great. And you look into the kind of, you know, nuances of the methods and say, well, yes, if we would have done the same, we would also look pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. but you can only do that if you then have, you know, in work comparisons and all these kind of different things available. Yeah, that's that's true. I completely agree. And I think what occurs in this case and also to the previous case is that everyone is comparing the results anyway. Yeah. yeah. So, so for example, if, if you go to a medical conference, so maybe there's a poster on treatment A showing response rate of 70% and then another poster of a different compound showing a response rate from 60% and everyone is saying, oh, treatment A is 10% or has a 10% higher response rate. But this might be the case in reality. Yeah? And I think methods like indirect comparison and yeah, NMA really help here to, to give better estimates uh, on this in case you don't have head-to-head data, actually. Yeah. And yeah, so in uh, coming back to this case, when you really compare your or the data to competitive data with your own product, I think you can really make use of all possibilities where new data can arrive. So this can be posters or presentations on conferences. Uh, it can be medical publications. It can be shown in HDA dossiers, which are yeah open for, for the public. And I think here really is it's again important to yeah, proactively identify the case and to prepare. And then you can really, yeah, make a difference when you apply such methods. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine kind of, you know, there is new, you know, presentation at a conference. Yeah. And you have everything ready on your PC. And you basically just as you see the presentation, type in the numbers from the, from the, from the slides. Yeah. Yeah. And directly after the presentation, you can, you know, show to your colleagues, well, we have just seen these kind of things. And this is how it looks in comparison to what we have. That can have an amazing impact. And that's where you can show and demonstrate your value to the organization. Mm -hmm. And this will help you to get a seat at the table that Mm -hmm. will help you to become more influential, become known for someone that is kind of has this competitive savviness and insights and can you know do these kind of things that lots of people actually don't understand yeah that's true and yeah i think this is just another possibility where you can really help to inform yeah not only internal but but also external decision making yeah on on your compound strategy so and yeah coming back to your point uh, to get a seat on the table i think this is really then where, where other functions are struggling yeah, to do the next step based on new data. And I think you can really work together here proactively with medical marketing, sales, and, and other functions to, yeah, to, to make a difference. Yeah. One of so, the things is important. It's not, mm. you know, you don't only need the data. You don't mm-hmm. only need the results. What you also need to provide is training around the methods and explanations mm-hmm. around the method. What are the strengths? What are the limitations? Mm-hmm. What can you say based on your these network meta-analysis? What can't you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's always then important to, to be prepared and say, okay, here are limitations in terms of you know these different design characteristics. And mm-hmm. that has can bias in this direction or in that direction, you know, that makes it difficult to make this comparison or that comparison. These kind of training slides stuff, you can have basically pre-prepared, yeah, so mm-hmm. that 
when these questions come and they will come, that you have, you know, already answered that. Or potentially you have maybe even kind of discussed that before the data uh, comes, that, you know, you know already the design of the other competition study. And because of that, you can say, okay, they will likely have better, worse, different results than Mm. than what we have done. Yeah, I agree. And I think the the key here is really to, to plan for those activities yeah, yeah um, cross-functionally, uh, not uh, not only in in, in your uh, department or function. I think obviously you you need to plan for the resources, yeah, because this is <laughs> this is something which is not I think not a standard activity across companies probably. This and um, we are all busy anyway. But I think when you can really see the value of this, I think it's worth to to do it and to to plan accordingly for for this. Yeah, and uh, as you say. Uh, I think it's not about to uh, to push the button to run the analysis. I think it's really to come together cross-functionally even beforehand to to identify the competitors that that uh, yeah that are of interest uh, and to see which which data you can use then or which data you expect actually. And yeah. then um, after you have the result, it's then really to to draw conclusions of it. Yeah. Yeah, completely agree. Okay. There's a third case where kind of you can get, you know, creates this internal panic thing. And that is actually a case where it's much more difficult to be prepared for. What is this case? (laughs) Yeah, so this is, uh, here's the case. Uh, Whenever you have published any kind of data, so through publications, through uh, presentations at conferences, yeah, others can make use of it, yeah, uh, uh, in a good and in in a bad way. So there are, third parties like I don't know medical guidelines or even the competition who then yeah will have the possibility to incorporate your data into their own indirect comparisons or network meta analysis. Yeah. And then it's really the question, what do you do if those findings are misleading or harming your product? Because I think one one key aspect of indirect comparison or NMA is that you have consistency across uh, results of indirect evidence and direct evidence, so from head-to-head trials. And if this is maybe not not given, uh, what do you do then? Yeah, yeah, I have experienced that firsthand during a launch of a product where a third party, a couple of third parties, were publishing network meta-analysis on a on a nearly quarterly basis. And um, whenever these come up, yeah, the companies that <laughs> had the drugs that came out best was kind of then using that in their for for their communications. Yeah. And here it's then of course important to be able to react fast. Yeah, yeah. that mm-hmm. you can very fast say, okay, okay, they have included these studies or excluded these studies. They have you know lumped up these kind of doses whatsoever. And we have a kind of task force ready that can look into these kind of things, can provide strengths and limitations, can mm-hmm. provide recommendations in terms of how to use that and all these different things. Yeah. So basically, you need to have something like a communication cascade and communication plan ready for these situations because they just create a lot of movement overall in the market and, and, and a lot of noise. Especially when they come from kind of high-profile organizations like, I don't know, if you're the European Association of XYZ or the US 
the American Association of X Y Z, and they published something like this. That usually have quite a lot has quite a lot of impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you need to answer then to to those external yeah publications. And how do you do this? Yeah, I think you you can do it on the one hand in a qualitative way. Yeah, mm -hmm. you um, but maybe even better if you can come up with your own analysis, yeah, which maybe focus on, on other aspects and maybe even explains the differences yep. that you see. Yeah. So therefore, yep. I think there are some possibilities to, uh, you have to act then. And uh, again, indirect comparisons and network meta-analysis, I think, play a key role then again in this case. Yeah, you can show kind of, for example, by rerunning the analysis and changing some aspects of it, you can show how robust or or not robust they are. Okay, the fourth case is probably the most used one. And when we had a discussion among peers and a little bit of a survey across industry, that was by far the number one area. And we're pretty much, yeah, everybody needs to have it more or less yeah. by design. Exactly. And this is about HDA submissions and payer negotiations, yeah, which is, I think, an external requirement when you look to, to HDA bodies worldwide. I think most of them accept and ask for indirect evidence in order to um, calculate then the price based on um, yeah, economic models. And um, yeah, this, this is a given. Yeah, After your regulatory approval, you need to submit to local HDA bodies or to, to pay us in order to get market access and the price for your product. Yeah. And, and here again, indirect comparison network meta-analysis plays a crucial role um, for this. Yeah. Yeah. And usually it's not just a, a report that you want to produce and then it's yeah. done. Yeah. But very often you will have some kind of staggered approach in terms of launching products. Yeah. Maybe you, mm -hmm. you go first with the UK or with Canada, and then, you know, you have maybe thereafter you have France and then Poland and, you know, lots of mm -hmm. other countries around the world. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, very often they will say, well, you need to have an updated systematic literature review mm -hmm. each time. And so just for that reason, you need to update it. The other reason could be that they say, well, for in our country, we have these you know, guidelines and therefore you can, you know, we only want to see this selection of treatments or only mm -hmm. these doses or whatsoever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I actually live worked on this. I was joking with my colleague on, you know, the scientist that was responsible for these is kind of, the, the NMA is never dying. It's kind yeah. of, <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it lives and needs to be re-updated again and again yeah. and again. I don't know how many versions we had in the end, but, but uh, mm. quite, quite a lot. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, I think this is because when you look to the to the countries, they all have several um, or different requirements. So there is not, uh, not one approach that, that fits all. And I think this won't change in future because, you know, there is this EU HDA process yep. ongoing and, and starting in around two years where you will uh, need to submit EU dossier or an HDA dossier on EU level. So which will probably comprise several PICOs. So this, this also means then that you need to be ready to conduct several NMAs. So with different, with different population, with different um, comparators in it, uh, maybe based on different outcomes. 
yeah. Um, yeah, several times. And therefore, I think the situation we, we have now won't really change. And yeah, again, I think it's yeah, just important to, to have a good setup to do NMAs. Yeah, PICO stands for Population Intervention, yeah. Comparator and Outcomes. Yeah, so, thanks. A uh, <laughs> little bit of evidence synthesis uh, vocabulary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the other point is, especially in areas where there is a lot of money involved, there is an incentive for HTA bodies to re-evaluate uh, the market. Yeah, because... Mm -hmm. Prices usually go down. And so after there's a couple of additional therapies entering the market, it can be easily occurring. There's an, you know, a review of all these different uh, mm -hmm. drugs and there's a reassessment. Yeah. And so that's uh, the, the fifth place where you need to work on network meta-analysis. Yeah, that's true. So um, I think once you're on the market, uh, you really need to, to constantly update your evidence and re-evaluate it and provide it to HDA bodies to, to pay us. Yeah, because the landscape is changing. Yeah. So on the one hand, uh, as you have just said, there are new, mar uh, new treatments will enter the market. So therefore, the, the data needs maybe will change. Uh, maybe you, you create your a new own data. So maybe long-term data or you have a additional phase uh, four trial running. So, so therefore, yeah, I think you do not only have difficulty to provide an NMA uh, to local needs, but also changing needs over time. Yeah. So it really makes sense to invest in training on an NMA. Yeah. It really uh, makes sense to, you know, if you outsource the networks meta-analysis to work, you know, with, with, with one partner that can help you do these kind of things in a consistent way, in a fast way, again and again and again. Because as we just walked through these five cases where you need to work on network analysis, and these just five cases, that doesn't mean that you do the NMA five times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> could do it kind of 20 times or 30 times. So there is again and again, these kind of things happen. And it starts already, you know, while you're in clinical development, because of course you can also use it to inform your study design. And yeah. I know many, many companies do that. Okay, very good. So the five cases were first, understand your phase two, phase three data. The second, mm -hmm. understand competitive data. Third, critique published network meta-analysis. And the fourth and fifth, HDA submissions and re-evaluations by HDA bodies. Daniel, a great episode again. What are kind of your, your key takeaways? Yeah, thanks. I think the, the key takeaway really is that NMAs in our comparisons are an important tool, not only in development phase, but maybe especially in, in late phase, so including HDA and medical affairs work. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to plan for those kind of analysis and uh, this not only in your function, but in a cross-functional manner. So I think all the, all the re relevant functions need to be on board. Uh, what might be the, the value of this mm -hmm. analysis? What might be the consequences? I think you really need to show how this analysis can help to drive business decisions. 
internally, mm -hmm. but also externally. And yeah, I think the, the last point is that you need to have in place good routine to train on this because in this phases we were talking about, it's not only you who can run those analysis, but there are several others, your competition, third parties who can run the same kind of analysis. And this is very likely to get tricky over time when you have 10 published NMAs with maybe yeah. the, the, the same set of treatments and different results, then I think you need a lot, you need to put in a lot of effort to really understand those differences and to help others what to do with it. Yeah, completely agree. Having a good training communication piece in yeah. there is absolutely critical. And finally, it also gives you an awesome opportunity to increase your influence on the reoccurring yeah. topics of our podcast. Thanks so much for the great discussion. Really enjoyed it. And we'll surely speak again on this podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode with Daniel. I certainly did. Head over to theeffectivestatistician.com to find the library of all the free resources. Don't forget about this. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain and Casey who helped with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, leap great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.